Well, hello, everyone. It's Paul Burge here with another episode of the Wedding Spain podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me for our regular jaunt through Spain and Spanish life and culture and all things Spanish. I hope you're all very well wherever you're listening from around the world. Um, a little bit of news from Madrid. Well, it looks like we're moving into phase one of the de-escalation of the quarantine. So just maybe, maybe on Monday, I'll be able to meet up with friends, go and have a cup of coffee in the sunshine on a terraza. Little by little, there's uh, some light at the end of the tunnel, which is a good thing also because it looks like someone flipped the switch for summer here in Spain. Uh, we've gone from grey, chilly, cloudy weather almost overnight to 32, 33 degrees here in Madrid. So uh, I think we can safely say that summer has officially arrived. Now, of course, we might not be able to travel freely at the moment but what we are certainly free to do is dream about the places that we'd love to visit in Spain. So today let's dream of one of Spain's most magical and enchanting places. Well it must be mustn't it? The Alhambra, the Alhambra Palace, the Alhambra Fortress. Yep that's right you've got it that's where we're off to this week to the beautiful city of Granada in Andalusia. Our guide Marta Sanchez. Now, Marta is Granada born, bred and buttered, um, a granadina or granaina as she says. Uh, Marta runs her own tours of Granada called Bite Granada. Uh, so I thought, well, who better to show us the city and all it has to offer? In the episode, we're going to be wandering around Granada's squares, back alleys. We're going to stop by the massive cathedral. Um, we're going to give our legs a good workout, climbing up into the Albaicín, which is the city's oldest neighbourhood. And it's true to say that there is a lot more to Granada than just the Alhambra. But of course, having said that, no trip to Granada would be complete without visiting the Alhambra Fortress, which staggeringly dates back to the year 889 AD. Actually, Paul, the Alhambra is mistakenly known as the palace or the castle of the Alhambra, but yeah. it's not a palace. It's not a castle. It's a it's a citadel. Actually, we call it Ciudadela, citadel. Uh, it's, a, it's a little city. It used to have all the typical services and facilities that a city had. Also along the way in this episode, expect a splash of food and drink. Like a little cake made of sponge cake that is, is soaked in rum, in rum from Granada, usually. Inside, it's filled with custard. It's actually a sweet that was uh, made to, to honour a pope. <laughs> and some fascinating stories and history from Granada as well. Stay with us for all of that coming up in the hour ahead. So we've got quite a packed episode this week, actually. There are a few things I'd like to say, a few announcements before we get into the uh, episode about Granada. First of all, exciting news. Um, I've been dedicating some of my free time to building a website, something I've never done before. And, well, I thought it was high time that the When in Spain podcast had its own website. So that's what I've been doing from scratch, all my own work, a When in Spain website which is wheninspainpodcast.com, of course. 
go and check it out. So this is going to be the home for When in Spain on the internet, WhenInSpainPodcast.com. Um, it's a work in progress. I'm still uh, tinkering with it a little bit. But if you head over to the website, I'll put a link in the show notes to this episode. So just scroll down and hit the link. We've got all of the episodes on the website available to stream. So if you like streaming episodes rather than listening to them on your smartphone, uh, the When in Spain Podcast com is a good place to do that all of the episodes are there i've also been uh, putting on there more detailed show notes and photos which accompany each episode as well and there are a few other tabs as well there's some information about the podcast about me about the when in spain's madrid guide which i'm working on and hope to uh, get released uh, in september that's going to be a when in spain's guide to madrid which is going to be an ebook and there's also information on the website about how to become a when in spain patron and all of that kind of thing and speaking of patrons yes it's that time when i like to say thank you to new when in spain patrons and uh, in this episode i'd like to say a big gracias to new patron david denny and i'd also like to say a big gracias to uh well long term when in spain patron sala rajicala uh, who kindly increased her monthly pledge so a big thank you to you david and sala i really appreciate it anyone else would like to support this podcast and the work that i do in putting it together and bringing it to you then you can do so by heading across to the crowdfunding website which is called patreon and the address you need is patreon.com forward slash when in spain um, and also you'll find a page all about when in spain patrons on the new when in spain website as well so go and check out the website when in spain podcast.com the other thing I'd like to say just before we get into the interview with Marta Sanchez um, is a couple of emails dropped into the When in Spain inbox uh, a few days ago and they really made my day. Um, they are from some of our younger listeners and uh, well it's really really comforting to know that the podcast is inspiring a new generation of Spain fans and I'll just uh, read out uh, a couple of these emails actually that I received. The first one's from Joshua, Joshua Williams. Hi Josh, thank you so much for your email. I really enjoyed reading it and I'm really, really grateful. Josh says, uh, Hi, my name's Josh Williams and I'm writing to say muchas gracias for your wonderful When in Spain podcast and the many hours of informative listening it has brought me. During this lockdown, I live in the UK I've been engaged in building a patio in our back garden and your podcast has been a delightful soundtrack to my work. It has also been an inspiration. I'm currently studying GCSE Spanish. I'm in year 10 and hearing about the incredible culture of Spain is a great motivator to continue my language learning. Therefore, I'm writing with gratitude and thanks for all the effort you've put into the podcast and all the best for the future. Yours sincerely, Josh Williams. Josh, thank you so much. And I'm I'm really glad that the podcast helps inspire you to keep learning Spanish. We all know that language learning can be uh, tough at times. So I'm really, really happy that you enjoy the podcast and also that it's um, motivating you to keep going with your Spanish. Um, for those listeners who are not sure... Um, uh, what GCSE Spanish is and what year 10 is. Um, well, in the UK education system, the GCSEs are exams that you study for between the ages of 13 and 16, and you take your final GCSE exams usually when you're about 16. And year 10, Josh, I'm guessing you're about 
14 maybe 15 years old so uh, there you go um that's fantastic thank you josh for getting in touch with the podcast and i uh, hope you keep listening and keep enjoying the show and in the very same vein i also received an email uh, from another younger listener grace keeling thank you to you for getting in touch also grace says i hope you're well and staying safe during these uncertain times i recently stumbled upon your podcast as i wanted something to listen to whilst i went on my walks and runs in lockdown now ever more frequent to pass the time and i'm so glad i did i study a level spanish and did it at gcse and this podcast has been so interesting and helpful i've even done some class presentations inspired by the topics you cover in the podcasts it's super approachable yet so intriguing i've really enjoyed working my way through the episodes i've recommended it to my class and my teacher loves it now too i just wanted to say a massive thank you but also show my appreciation please keep doing what you're doing ten cuidado hasta luego grace uh grace thank you so much i'm well i'm blown away i'm really really um yeah, chuffed that you've uh, drawn inspiration for your class presentations from the podcast episodes that's fantastic thank you so much for sharing it with your classmates and your teacher as well again for the listeners uh, grace is from the uk and she's studying a level spanish and a levels are courses that we study when we're a little bit older than josh uh from six 16 to 18 so they're like the pre-university courses um, so I'm guessing Grace you're between 16 and 18 years old and again I really hope that you keep working at your Spanish language and and I hope you continue to keep taking it to the next level and I don't know maybe you're going to study Spanish at university keep us posted I really appreciate you both getting in touch and well keep listening and keep enjoying Let's get into the episode and the interview with Marta. Everything you need to know about this must-visit Spanish city, Granada. Here's Marta Sanchez from Byte Granada. Marta, thank you so much for taking the time to join the When in Spain podcast today. Thank you so much, Paul, for inviting me. Pleasure. Today we are being transported by the power of imagination and audio to the wonderful city of Granada in Andalusia. You are Granada born and bred, a granadina, no, de toda la vida. Yeah, granadina. Actually, in Granada, we don't usually say granadina, we say granaina. <laughs> because as you know, Paul, in Andalusia, we have an accent. And sometimes we skip certain letters of Spanish. It's a bit complicated to understand a granaino. <laughs> granaino, granaina. So you swallow the, you swallow the D. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we swallow the Ds. We swallow the final S's of the plural and many other things. <laughs> you run Bite Granada walking tours. And how long have you been running tours for in Granada? Well, actually, I've been leading tours for about, well, more than five years already. Uh, but at first, I used to take groups across other cities in Spain and also different countries in Europe, uh, you know, Spain and France, Portugal, even Italy and other places. But, uh, you know, since, you know, I'm a Granadina, I wanted to stay here. And uh, I began specializing in Granada's history and the, the culture and all that about three years ago. And I created Bite Granada last year to, you know, to start showing people the authentic essence of Granada that maybe just the locals can get to know. It must be a really nice feeling uh, 
showing visitors and guests your own city. I'm, I'm imagining you feel, you know, it must be very proud of Granada. It's such a beautiful place. It is, it is. And actually, as I used to travel a lot whenever I was in other countries and I saw these beautiful places and monuments with the eyes of a tourist, I couldn't stop thinking of Granada and how people feel when they are visiting my city for the first time. So that's what I try, you know, to to, to show the wonders of Granada to people coming here. And yeah, yeah, I feel so proud of it. I you know, no matter how many times I go to the Albaicin, to the Alhambra, to the cathedral, I never get tired of seeing these beautiful places. I'm, I really love my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a nice office to have, right? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we are going to try and do today is to bring the listeners of the podcast, the wonders of Granada, through a little virtual tour that you're going to take us on, Marta. It's a big city. There's a lot to see. Uh, Marta, what uh, briefly is the history? history behind the city it has like many cities in Spain and indeed Andalusia the uh, influence from the Moors yes actually Granada is known as the Moorish city of Spain because this was the last territory to be reconquested by the Christians you know the whole peninsula was occupied by the Moors for a long time but eventually the Christians began uh, winning positions and Granada was the last place as I mentioned that they finally conquered back So uh, Granada was under Muslim rule for about eight centuries. And I like, you know, highlighting that if you do the deduction from 1492, that was the year when the Moors left to today, the year 2020, that's about 500 years. Wow. So even today, the Moors were in Granada more than as Christians. So that's uh, it's normal to realize this very strong Moorish heritage that we have. We You can see it on the foot. You can see it on different traditions. You can even notice this Moorish past on the construction of the buildings, uh, certain architectural styles, even in the words, you know. So, yeah, we have a, a very strong Moorish heritage. Nowhere kind of sums that up more in Granada than the Alhambra Palace, which we'll talk about a little bit later uh, in the podcast episode. I guess we, we must mention the Alhambra. Let's start our virtual tour then, Marta. All right. So apart from the Alhambra, uh, Granada has a lot to see. To make it simple, I thought about doing a little virtual tour of the city centre and then heading to the Albaicin. I thought about beginning in one of the most important squares in Granada that is called Bibrambla. It's one of the oldest places in Granada as well. Many important events have taken place in this square forever. You know, from back in the Inquisition times, for example, the faith trials took place in this square. But luckily no one was killed there, you know, but many books were burned there back in the these sad times of our of our times. Also, you know, today, uh, many other important events like the Feria, you know, the, the Dia de la Cruz, the, also known as the Cruces de Mayo festivities, uh-huh. and beautiful Christmas markets, other flea markets that usually take place, uh, take place on weekends. Uh, they always happen in, in this place. It's also one of the most lively places in Granada, and uh, pretty much every weekend there's something going on there. It's a, a very typical meeting point for people, and it's close to many interesting monuments, for example, the cathedral, 
that is literally around the corner, one minute far walking from Bibramble Square. And there are also many restaurants that are, you know, a bit of a touristy spot in that sense. But if you allow me to give a recommendation, uh, there's a place there in Bibramla that okay. is called Cafeteria Alhambra. And for me, they have the best chocolate and churros in Granada. That's the place to go. <laughs> I remember just off the square, which I absolutely loved. I mean, again, a little bit touristy, I suppose. But these little narrow passageways, little alleyways, um, right. which I think were called Al Alcaiceria. Exactly, the Alcaiceria. Yeah. They used to be the, the Moorish market. The Moorish market. Yeah, it really feels like you're stepping into a kind of souk or a bazaar from from Morocco or somewhere. It's actually a replica, a replica uh, from the old bazaar, because, uh, you know, they were the Christians. Once they got to Granada, they were trying to maintain. If you notice, we, we still have many vestiges from the Moorish times. We have the Alhambra, we have many watchtowers, we have many gates to the city still standing, but uh, there was an unfortunate fire and the whole bazaar was burned to the ground. So in in an attempt to maintain the essence of the area, they did this beautiful replica. Even though it's smaller in size, uh, it keeps the essence, as you said, of walking in a typical bazaar of Morocco and other Arabian places. Tiny narrow passageways, only yeah. maybe a couple of meters wide, with arches, and the arches have got the kind of the uh, azulejos tiles and the yeah. very detailed ornate engraving. You know the the yeah, kind exactly. of geometric designs that you see in lots of Moorish architecture. Exactly, and as you cross one of these arches, suddenly you bump into the cathedral. So this is an interesting place where you can feel this strong influence that we have in Granada between the Moorish and the Christian. You have both in a very reduced space. So that is Plaza de Bibramla. Where would you take us normally next on, on the next stop on the tour? Definitely straight to the Cathedral of Santa Maria de la Encarnación. It's the whole name of our cathedral. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's actually surprising, you know, it's a massive building. Although once you are there in front of it, you know, there's a small square called Plaza de las Pasiegas. And as you are there, it's complicated to imagine the the size, the mass, what what a massive building the cathedral is, because it's uh, uh, it's among many buildings, and you can only see the facade, but you can tell it's huge because it's very high. And uh, I told you, so it's surprising as you come in and you see all the beautiful, uh, huge columns, and the whole thing is all painted in white. It's, uh, it's also known as the Cathedral of Light because it has beautiful, colorful glasses that provide natural light from outside. And that is precisely why the, the walls are painted in white, to reflect this light and to give it a beautiful atmosphere in there. It's wonderful inside. You talked about the, the glass, colored glass windows, but for me, my favorite part was the dome, which is kind of like a light blue color with, has kind of like golden stars painted on it. Exactly. You know, the uh, the cathedral was 
supposed to have been the mausoleum for the tombs for, of the Catholic monarchs, who were the ones that uh, ended the Reconquista of Spain, you know. Uh, as they got to Granada, they fell in love with the city, and it also represented a lot to them, since, as I said before, it was the last piece of the puzzle for the whole country to be under the same crown and the same religion. They really loved the city and they wanted to be to rest here forever, to be buried in Granada. So, as you said, under the dome was the altar today. It was supposed to be the place for the tombs of the Catholic kings. And that is why the dome is painted as if it was, you know, representing the sky. A representation of the souls of the Catholic kings would head straight up to heaven. The tombs are not there today, but they are in the royal chapel that is a little chapel, a beautiful Gothic chapel that is connected actually to the to the cathedral. It was built uh, years before under the order, the di direct order of Isabella the Catholic. She wanted a small chapel, something more austere, like she was, you know, something <laughs> something small. <laughs> but uh, after that, after they passed away, his grandson, who was Carlos, the emperor, the emperor Charles, took the baton. And he became the king of Castile, of Spain back then. So uh, he was, these were the Renaissance times, and he was a great emperor. So he couldn't allow his grandparents to be buried in such a small chapel. So that's why that was the moment when he ordered the construction of such a huge, a massive cathedral like the one we have today. That is actually the first building uh, that belongs to the Renaissance style in the whole country of Spain and the largest. It's the largest and the first in the Renaissance style in the whole country. Wow, I didn't know that. And that was under the order of Charles the Emperor, Charles V, uh, because he wanted his, his grandparents to be buried in such a magnificent monument, even though eventually they are where they wanted to be, in the Royal Chapel. near there there is a curious i remember a little statue of a, a man with a donkey is it the aguador uh, yeah the aguador yeah <laughs> what's the yeah. story behind that well actually the the, the person of the aguador that, that that used to be uh well a business it was uh, the job of several people especially in the albaicin you know uh, later we will talk about the albaicin but once you are there there are many little moorish wells that we know as aljibes. So the aljibes, as I mentioned, were wells where people got the water from. And, uh, you know, since the Albaicín is very hilly, it's full of steep hills, uh, it was complicated for, especially for the, for the elderly, to get to the aljibes and all that. So the aguadores were people that transported the water with a donkey and took the water, you know, to, to the rest of the of the people from up in the Albaicín and also getting the fresh water from the Albaicín and from River Darro down to the city. So I it's see. like a memorial to them. It's a little memorial to those guys who did, I imagine, a very difficult job of transporting heavy buckets of water on, on donkeys around the city. Amazing. OK, so we're standing back outside the cathedral now in, let's say, I don't know, Plaza de las Pasiegas, which is the little square in front of the cathedral. Um, where should we head to next? Supposing we have already visited, visited the Royal Chapel, you know, because they, even though they are connected uh, and you... Uh, should be supposed to cross 
one gate and go to the next place, that gate is closed. Mm-hmm. So you need to pay a different entrance, uh, sorry, a different ticket to go inside the cathedral and then a different one to get into the royal chapel. So as you get out from the cathedral, I would head straight to the royal chapel because it's definitely worth the visit. Uh, you know, not only to see the tombs of uh, the Catholic monarchs, but also it's it's a wonderful chapel. It's decorated in Gothic style. The table is magnificent. And they also have an exhibition of mm, belongings, personal belongings of the Catholic monarchs, like their clothes and, for example, uh, crowns, uh, certain belongings of Queen Isabella, especially the sword of Ferdinand, and also many paintings from the 1500s and even older that used to belong to them and they donated to to the Catholic, uh, sorry, to the Royal Chapel. But as you go out, there's a kind of a hidden spot, a hidden game. Right as you go out of the Royal Chapel, through <laughs> its gate, right in front of the Royal Chapel, uh, there's a funny building that has like painted bricks. Most people ignore that place. They just Look at it, maybe take a picture, and then you continue your journey. But it's usually open because the, the entrance is free. You can go inside for free, as this building today belongs to the University of Granada. But it's very special because once you go inside, you discover a really, really beautiful Moorish room, an old Arab room, because this place used to be the Madrasa, the Moorish University. And it still has... Yeah, it, and actually, it, it keeps having the same uh, the same function, right? Because it belongs to Granada's university, but uh, it's uh, it all it still con- um, it continues to have the structure of the Moorish building that it used to be, and it has an amazingly beautiful chapel, Moorish chapel, uh, with beautiful decorations similar to what you can expect to see on the Alhambra but even in a better state of preservation. I love the idea that it's still used today uh, in some kind of function with, as a university. It's like a venue for lectures and speeches, uh, but it's uh, directly related to, to the university, actually for Muslim uh, studies and Muslim-related, Islamic-related stuff. That makes sense, I guess. The structure of the building, if you notice, as you go inside, the first thing you find is a patio, you know, like a little courtyard that uh, today is covered by a glass. But if you look underneath, you can see the the old, the actual foundations of it. Uh, And if you look above, you will see how the ceiling today is all covered. But it used to be open air, the original way of building that the Moors used to have, the, the typical carmen that we have here is the, the typical Moorish construction, the Carmen. That is a fantastic recommendation, Marta, the Palacio de la Madraza, right next to the cathedral. Yeah, yeah, you can go at any moment, you see it in maybe two minutes, you take your pictures, it's totally free, <laughs> and then you walk. There is a tour, I think, yeah, yeah, there's a tour, uh, you pay, I think, two euros, and you go inside the, the this little Moorish room, and you go inside, you see the whole thing, and then you go up to the upper floor, and it's a little tour of the place. Where should we wander to next? I would go straight to uh, Gran Via, which is now like the center of the economical activity in Granada. It, uh, it was actually built 
taking the model of the Gran Via in, in Paris, the Gran Via in Madrid, like big cities, because they were trying to make Granada look magnificent back in the 1900s at the beginning of the last century. So it's very modern. It, uh, it really makes a contrast among what you can see behind it. That is the, the beginning of the Albaicin and also the cathedral area and, and all that that we just visited. So I would cross uh, the, the big avenue of Gran Via and then head towards directly towards the Albaicin. You know, as you walk from Gran Via, Mm -hmm. uh, keep walking uh, to the east, you will get to a very, very popular square along with Vibramla that is probably the most popular and oldest square in town. And it's called, funnily enough, it's called Plaza Nueva, that is the new square. <laughs> it's called the new square. It's called the new square, but it's one of the oldest in town. <laughs> it's one of the oldest areas because that's place that's located in the low part of the Albaicin that happens to be the place where the Moors first settled when they got to Granada in the 10 hundreds. I see. So when we say Albaicin, we're talking about a neighborhood, really, of the city, first neighborhood where the Moors put down roots in Granada. Exactly. Well, actually, when they first got here in the 700s, they moved, they founded that city, but it was uh, far from what it is Granada today. It was called Ilbida. It used to be, uh, well, it's, uh, it was placed like a few miles from here, from the city center, but eventually they realized how they would have much better conditions to live here in the Albaicin. Because as I mentioned earlier, the Albaicin is located on top of a hill, a very steep hill, but it was, especially in the medieval times, it was very convenient to live up on a hill because the hill would give them the high ground over, an, over a, an area that is mostly plain, like Granada. You know, accepting the, the two hills of the Albaicin, uh, well, the Sacromonte that is besides, and also the hill of the Alhambra, the rest of Granada is completely plain. And then they also had very close, they were very close to the mountain range of Sierra Nevada. We have the highest peak on the Iberian Peninsula up there. Which you can see from many parts of the city and certainly from the Albaicin. And yes. you get that from certain angles, those photos of the Alhambra Palace with just the tips of the mountains behind the kind of white. Well, depending on the time of year, I guess. I think when I was there, they yeah. were they were snow tipped mountains. Absolutely well, beautiful backdrop, beautiful setting. So you've got kind of like a triangle of uh, you've got, like you said, you've got the Alhambra. You've got Sacra, yes. Sacromonte and you've got the Albaicin as well. These kind of three hills. Actually, there's another one, but it's like, uh, well, we have the, the hills of the Albaicin and Sacromonte are kind of connected. It's like yeah. pretty much the same hill uh, with a little valley. And then close to the Alhambra, we have another little hill that is the Realejo district. It, it used to be back in the, even before the Moorish period of Granada, the Jewish people, the Jewish population of Granada used to live in that part. Also, between the hills of the Albaicin and the Alhambra, uh, in the valley that connects these two hills, there's a river, one of the most important rivers of Granada, the River Darro. And this river was also one of the reasons why the Moors decided to settle in the Albaicin. Back in the, in the medieval times, it was very important to have water, a source of water nearby to, to survive. <laughs> By positioning themselves there, they had the river Darro right on their doorstep because, of course, yeah, I mean, the Moors were experts at uh, using water for uh, cultivating plants and food, but also as uh, as an ornamental value as well in their in their palaces. 
Exactly. Yeah, they, they, they were experts. Notice that they came from Africa where uh, they, there's a, a huge lack of water. So they, they were experts in making the most out of every chance to get water. And here in Granada, they found a paradise having the, the eternal snow up in Sierra, Sierra Nevada. Let's imagine we are walking up uphill, of course, yes. into the Albaicin neighborhood. What does it feel like compared to the center of Granada? It's hard to put into words what you feel when you are there, you know. It's uh, such a magical place. You can imagine uh, all narrow streets, very narrow streets that are, you know, zigzagging all the time. Uh, it's, uh, some people are actually scared of walking alone in the Albaicin, which is completely safe. You know, you, you shouldn't be scared to walk in this area because it's wonderful. Uh, but it's a... Uh, it's complicated to get to know all these streets because they were designed by the Moors like this, precisely uh, as a as a defensive method. They were very narrow for two reasons: to uh, provide sh- uh, shade. You know, as I mentioned, they came yeah. from Africa, so a very hot place. So they wanted to have places where they have a, a chilly breeze. So uh, narrow streets to provide the, this uh, shade, and also for uh, you know big armies coming to attack the city, they had to split in uh, lines or uh, small groups of people. So that's why these are very narrow streets. But even today, they are painted all in white. They used to be uh, uh, limestone. I didn't know that the reason they uh, built the streets narrow and, uh, you know, zigzagging and from a defensive point of view. Back then, they were constantly fighting with other territories, even during the Moorish period of Granada. Even even then, the one you know dynasty fought against the other, and then among the same dynasty, uh, certain clans were fighting the other. So they really needed to keep in mind this this defensive strategies. So there was a lot of fighting between oh, themselves, yeah. a lot of infighting as well. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so right. once you are in the Albaicin, apart from these uh, beautifully beautiful white houses, whitewashed houses. You also get to see the typical geraniums, the, the pots made of typical ceramics from Granada that are, you know, colorful and also white, green and blue. That is the typical color of ceramics that we have here. Many of these houses, the Carmenes that I mentioned earlier, uh, date back from the Moorish times of Granada. So you you do have the feeling as if you were walking across a Moorish town like, you know, Tetuan or, or Marrakech or really? different places. It does give you that feeling. You're listening to When in Spain. We're exploring Granada with guide Marta Sanchez from Bite Granada Tours. Stay with us as we take you inside the magnificent Alhambra, find out how to plan a visit there, and we'll also be talking authentic Granada food. You're listening to When in Spain. The Albaicin, it reminds me a bit of one of those typical Pueblo Blancos that you find in Andalusia. Like it could be sort of in the Albujarras, uh, but it's kind of, but it's part of the city now. It's incredible. There is the Mirador San Nicolas, which is a place that I visited. I remember walking down from the Albaicin to get a, a great view of the Alhambra Palace. Definitely the Mirador de San Nicolas has the best views, undoubtedly, of the Alhambra because it's right opposite to the hill of the Alhambra, and there's nothing in between, just the valley of River Darro. Yeah. And uh, the thing about San Nicolás is that it's 
more or less at the same height as the Alhambra. But, uh, Paul, if you walk across the Albaicin and you dare to go into the Albaicin without, you know, any help, just on your own, you, you're very likely to find yourself in a small square that has direct views to the Alhambra. And maybe it's just a couple of people there. San Nicolas Mirador is full of people. I, I think everybody should go there because the views are unbeatable. But if you walk down again to the city, downhill uh, across the Albaicin, you will see many other places that have amazing views to the Alhambra. Not only San Nicolas, which obviously has uh, the best views, but you can see the Alhambra pretty much from anywhere because, as I mentioned, there's nothing between the hill of the Albaicin and the hill of the Alhambra. But that's great yeah, advice yeah. Um, that you could go up into the Albaicin and get a great viewpoint of the uh, Alhambra, but with fewer people. I have to have to say, when I went, it was very, it was still very busy at the Mirador San Nicolas. There were lots, lots of people. San Nicolas is a is a must. I mean, people have to go there and take the picture because not not only can you see the Alhambra. But also, if you look to the right, if you are standing in front of the Alhambra and you uh, take your sight to the right, you will see the city. You know, especially at sunset, you get um, an amazing view. It has to be one of, I think for me, one of the most, if not the most, magical sights in all of Spain. Well, seeing as we are looking at the Alhambra Palace, let's talk a bit about the Alhambra, because as I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, nearly everybody who thinks of Granada thinks of the Alhambra. And I'm guessing that for most visitors and tourists to Granada, it's probably the main reason that they come to the city um, to see the Alhambra Palace. Now, the Alhambra is it kind of consists of several different parts right it's not all one building that people might think because you've got the palacio de carlos quinto generalife you've got the alcazaba talk us through how they fit together and, and what they are actually paul the alhambra is mistakenly known as the palace or the castle of the alhambra but yeah. it's not a palace it's not a castle it's a it's a citadel actually we call it ciudadela citadel uh, it's, a, it's a little city. It used to have all the uh, typical services and facilities that a city had. Uh, as you go inside, the first thing you see is the palace of Charles V, of El Palacio de, de Carlos V. There is actually an area that you can visit for free. You don't need to have the ticket. You can go to the Alhambra and visit the palace of Charles V and also the Plaza de los Aljibes, which has beautiful views to Granada and also to the Albaicín. Remember, now we are on the other side, you know, across the river. So yeah. now we have beautiful views of the Mirador de San Nicolás and the wonderful district of the Albaicín. So uh, once you are there, you can see the palace that the emperor we talked about earlier, uh, uh, Charles V, decided to build for himself for when he came to visit to Granada. That actually he, he never got to use, <laughs> you know, it was built, uh, but he never, he never uh, spent a night there because it was finished, you know, little time ago. So uh, once you are there, uh, usually the first thing you visit is the Alcazaba, that was uh, like the, the section for the military section, nice. the area where uh, the military uh, the soldiers used to live. And there was uh, like a little, a little neighborhood there for the, the soldiers and their families to live. 
And uh, it also has, you know, as you go in, in the Alcazaba, you see all the, the, the remains, all the ruins of this little neighborhood. And also you see the most representative tower of the Alhambra, that is La Torre de la Vela. You know, uh, it's uh, the one you see from the city. The tower of the little square turrets on the top. Exactly. And with the flags. <laughs> it has a little bell that rings every 2nd of, ge- of January. It's a huge complex. It makes sense that you describe it as a citadel. So so the, the Alcazaba was the military quarters. That's where the military, uh, the, the, the soldiers used to live. And uh, yeah, it's usually the section that you visit the first. But well, you are free to, to go. Once you go in there, you can go wherever you want, as long as you are at the door of the palaces when you are due to be, you know, that's uh, very strict. Uh, so once you, you visit the Alcazaba, I would recommend to go straight to the palaces. We can find, uh, well, that's the, the area that, uh, the section that is most popular and that probably everyone has seen a picture of the palaces, especially the Palace of the Lions. We had, we can, uh, to make it simple, we, we can say that you have the Palace of the Meshwar and also the Palace of the Lions. Meshwar was the place, actually it, it, uh, it means in Arabic, it means the place where the governor lives. So the Meshwar was a place for uh, administrative tasks and things that had to do with the sultan's functions and, and all that. The name Alhambra comes from the Arabic Kala Alhambra, which means Red Mountain. The, the Red Forest, exactly. Well, there are many theories <laughs> about the name of the Alhambra. Yeah. For example, one of them is, uh, you know, the place where the Moors first lived, remember, was the Albaicin in the 1000s. Uh, and then in the 1200s, when all the territories in the rest of Spain were being conquered by the Christians, those people who survived, they all got together here in Granada. So the Albaicin was beginning to be overpopulated. And the king back then called Alamar, well, his actual name was Muhammad ibn Nasser. So uh, he was known as Alamar, which means the red, because he was a ginger. <laughs> he was a redhead. He had ginger hair. Yeah, he was, he was a ginger head. So that, <laughs> he had that nickname. So they say that the Alhambra might have this name because he was the guilty for the Alhambra to be there. He, the Alhambra's concept came from Alamar. So they say that could be the reason why they know the Alhambra as the Red Fortress. What a wonderful story. <laughs> Although there's another one that I like better. Yes, yes, you know, they, these are all theories. <laughs> but uh, they say that, you know, once the, that Alamar decided that he wanted to, to have his palace built up in, the, in, this, in this hill, all his, you know, the workers were uh, working day and night to build the palace as soon as possible. So they say that, that when the sun was setting, you could see from the distance the sun, you know, the, the sunlight reflecting on all the tools that they were using to build the, the Alhambra and giving it like the reflection of the sun setting, looking, making it look like, like a red building. So we have the two palaces you were saying. When you walk in, what can you see? When you go into the Meshwar, you can see what is called as the tribunal room, which is where, uh, as I mentioned, the, the sultan used to get together with the council to, you know, to talk about and to deal about uh, things that had to do with the kingdom's administrative tasks and all that. But uh, it was known as the Meshwar, even though that was not the place where the sultan lived. But uh, these two buildings were connected. You know, uh, if you go inside the Meshwar, you see these 
first room, and then you go into a wonderful patio that is known as Patio de los Arrayanes that already connects with the Patio de los Leones. Well, sorry, the palace, or uh, the Palacio de los Leones, the Palace of the Lions. That was the private residence of the Sultan. So these two were connected to make it easy for the Sultan when he had to go uh, to deal with something important. Yeah. He just had to cross a couple of doors and he would be there. We have uh, numerous other rooms as well inside there. I'm looking at Sala de los Reyes, Sala de la Barca, yes. Tocado de la Reina. Yeah, the Sala de Comares, which is wonderful. Sala de, uh, the, the Tower of Comares is also one of the most typical towers, well, the most, uh, yeah, the, the most impressive towers that you see from below, from the city. Mm-hmm. And inside, uh, well, you see this tower from outside of the Alhambra and you see it's like, like something very, you know, like a military tower, like it kind of intimidates you. But then once you are inside, you are totally amazed with the fine decoration and the beautiful ceiling that it has. It's totally a masterpiece of the Moorish uh, architectural techniques and, and design is, is wonderful. That's the Sala de Comares. Then the Sala de la Barca is a long, uh, it's like a connection room to get there, uh, but it's very beautiful because it's full of uh, Arabic handwriting in the in the walls and also a beautiful ceiling all in 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 wood with beautiful decoration decorations tell us a bit about the yes. generalife it's different you know because uh, the typical construction that i mentioned earlier the carmen was uh, this that I, that I said, you know, a patio surrounded by columns usually where the daily life used to take place. And then uh, surrounding the patio would be the rest of the rooms. So the same thing happens in the palaces of the Alhambra. The patio that I mentioned, the patio de los Arrayanes, is very beautiful. It's called uh, like that because Arrayan is, uh, the, is the name to the myrtle in English, which is a beautiful plant that is that surrounds the little pool, well, not little, but the, the long pool that is uh, on that beautiful patio. The name Generalife comes from Hanat al-Arif, the architect's garden. Yeah, as I told you, it's different. The gardens that you can find in the Alhambra are different because they belong to the, to the patios of the houses or, or the certain buildings. And then the Generalife, used to be a residence, the summer residence of the Sultan. You know, the Generalife is full of beautiful orchards and gardens. It's it's wonderful, especially in this time of the year. It's, uh, you know, it's a place to be enjoyed with all of your senses, with the view, with uh, even when, you know, when, when people walked by these trees and just took a fruit and ate it, ate it as they walked and they enjoyed the smell of all the flowers. It's such a wonderful place. It also has a small palace there for the sultans to live uh, when they were retired. Yeah. But uh, the, the, I would say that it has nothing to do to, to the palaces you can see in the Alhambra, especially the, the Palace of the Lions. But the the most interesting thing you can see in the Generalife are the gardens, definitely. It's, it's wonderful. It's very interesting how they made water to get to the hill of the Alhambra, because if you notice, the river was on, down in the valley. Yeah. So this is one of the, <laughs> the impressive techniques that the Moors used. What they did 
was, uh, you know, at the beginning, well, not maybe at the beginning, but far from the Alhambra, uh, they, they changed the course of the river so that uh, maybe half of the river would go to the valley and then the rest of the river would go straight uh, from an upper point on that hill, would go straight downhill to the Alhambra for it to have, you know, to, to irrigate all the gardens of the Generalife and also the patios and provide water to the people who live there. Because remember, it was a city. Not only the sultans lived there, but also, you know, usually uh, the aristocracy, the nobility, wealthy people. In terms of practical advice for people planning a trip to the Alhambra in the future, it can be quite difficult because I think the mistake some people make is they think that you can just show up on the day, yeah. buy a ticket and go in, which is not the case. To protect the various buildings, there are limits to how many people can visit each day at certain times. It's, it's quite restricted, which obviously yes. makes sense and is a good thing. Talk us through the process for people wanting to visit the Alhambra. How, do they, how, how should they do it and how long should they book in advance? Well, now they have changed the system to get the tickets and now it's easier to get uh, an individual ticket. You have to go straight to the website of the Patronato of the Alhambra. If you head there, I would say to come during the peak season, which is now, you know, maybe from April to October. If you are planning to do your visit to Granada in this time, I would buy the ticket maybe two months in advance. It's early to see because they just... Uh, uh, they just change the system of ticketing. So we don't know if it's going to be like it used to be. But, you know, back then uh, when they had a different system, uh, it was a good idea to get it like two or even three months in advance. So I would I would do that. You know, if, if you are planning your trip with a few months uh, of advance, I would get that. Uh, one of the first thing I do was taking the, the, the Alhambra ticket. Also, one thing. Uh, that I like recommending to my guests is to get the Granada card. It's something very interesting because it's like, yeah, it's, it's literally a card that gives you access not only to the Alhambra, you know, you have a, an entrance to the Alhambra included, but you can also visit other interesting monuments like, uh, for example, different Moorish houses in the Albaicin and other things, you know, for example, the touristy train and many other things are included in the price and it, it's a good, uh, it's a good thing. However, if you come in a group, it's not that interesting because you get different time slots to get to the Alhambra palaces. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, because you will be given a time slot, won't you, um, yeah. to, to visit the palaces. Okay, so the Granada card, worth looking at uh, if maybe you're traveling alone or just as a couple. There are different price ranges, if you see, and uh, you can buy the one you prefer, just including the, the Alhambra ticket or maybe including uh, the entrance to uh, other Moorish houses. You know, it depends on what you want. You can pay less or pay more. But I would say it's just very, it has a very reasonable price. Well, I've worked up a bit of an appetite, uh, Marta, as I always happens in my episodes. I always love to talk about food and drink, <laughs> of course. Is there any typical delicacy or food from Granada that is authentic from the city that people should try? Oh, yes, we have many things, <laughs> as you can imagine, and many of our typical foods are directly related to our Moorish past. We're very popular for the typical pionono, which is a little sweet. The pionono, yes. It has a funny name and a funny story behind that. It's actually a, a sweet 
that was uh, made to, to honor a pope. <laughs> it has the name of a pope uh, that was Pio Nonno. It means Pius the Ninth. <laughs> and the cook that invented the Pio Nonno wanted to honor him and it gave the name of the pope. I see. Pio Nonno. Sorry, at first I thought you said Tio Nonno, like uncle, uncle Nonno. <laughs> Pio Nonno. Oh, wow. With P, Pio. Pio. Pio Nonno. I think in English it's Pius. Pius. Yes, absolutely. Pius it's the, Pius. Pius the Ninth. <laughs> Pius the Ninth. Amazing. What does it contain? Like a little cake made of sponge cake that is, is soaked in rum. In rum from Granada, usually. Oh, sounds great. Yeah, it's really tasty. It's, it's very juicy. And then it's soaked in rum and inside it's filled with custard. And it also has like a little hat of custard that is slightly toasted on top. This is really tasty. It also has cinnamon. And depending on the place, since it's something that's so popular uh, for, for the tourists, now mm. they, they, they make it covered in chocolate and in all kinds of things. Of Lots toppings of you can imagine. <laughs> but the original one has no toppings, just the custard and the sponge cake, uh, and that's it. And then uh, talking about local local products, I would uh, highlight the olive oil. We have amazing olive oil in Granada. Uh, it's, uh, one of the, it's one of the cities of the triangle of olive oil, as, as it's known. You know, one is Córdoba, the other is Granada, and the main uh, source of olive oil is Jaén. Jaén, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's actually our neighborhood city. It's very close to Granada. And we have amazing olive oil here. Then another thing that is uh, also typical, maybe as an appetizer or, or maybe, you know, as a dinner, something light, is the pastela. Pastela right. comes, yeah, it, it comes directly from a Moorish recipe that they say was invented here in Granada. It's something that I, I really love. It's, uh, you can call it a pastry, but it's not sweet. It's a mix, I would say, 50-50, savory and sweet. It's really, really tasty. The, the original one is stuffed, well, uh, it's made of pita bread, and it's stuffed usually with chicken, onion, uh, well, it depends on uh, figs or other uh, raisins, mm -hmm. you know, something to give it a, um, a sweet flavor. Uh, and then it's usually covered in sugar or almonds, sesame seeds. It depends on the place where you go to, but it's, it's really, really tasty. People always say that Granada is famed for being very generous with its tapas compared to other cities. Um, is that yeah. true? And, and where a good couple of typical everyday places to go and order a caña and get some nice tapas? Well, honestly, uh, this that you said depends on the place where you go to. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, if you go to a more modern place, a typical gastro bar or something like that, you might get a very small tapa. Yeah. The good thing is that in Granada you always get a tapa, unless mm. unless you go to a restaurant that is only thought and conceived to to you know to provide a meal, you know to to just a, a sit down dinner or something like that. These places are not obliged to to give you a, a tapa no. because the tapa uh, we we usually say that it's a free tapa here in Granada, although that's not completely true. The thing is that the price you pay for the beer or the even the Fanta or a Coke or whatever, uh, the price includes the tapa I already. See. All uh, right. So it's slightly uh, more expensive that, for example, a Seville or other places where you get a caña for a euro. Maybe the caña here is 180 and you are getting the tapa. 
still pretty good value you know <laughs> and especially if you go to a good place where they give you a good amount of food which yeah. is you know yeah uh, it, you need to know where to go there are touristy spots or also areas where you know granada is a very popular student town and students poor things you know we've all been there and they want to go to the cheapest places and get you know burgers and hot dogs so if you go to the students area you might get this kind of tapa which are not bad you know they they, they fulfill their purpose for students <laughs> but there are other places that are more interesting for example i would recommend to head to a very uh, typical and trendy area now for tapas that is the area of the street varela Varela. You know, it's Varela, San Matias. All these streets are now filled with very interesting restaurants. It's uh, uh, and now they are competing to see uh, who has the best tapas and the best wines. It's a very nice area to go for tapas. You get uh, very good value for money. And of course, other thing to point out is that uh, the places, most of the places where you get a tapa, are also restaurants. They are usually uh, they usually have a, like a spot for the tapas, which is by the bar, and then usually they have a room, like a dining room, with tables and with their tablecloth and everything beautifully arranged for people to to have dinner or lunch there. So you can have tapas, which is something more informal and more dynamic, and then you can, if you like the place and you like what they are offering as a tapa, you can just sit down there and order some some food, some raciones. Great idea. So you can you can do a little taste test first at the bar, stand at the bar, exactly. order a couple of tapas, see if you like yeah. it, and then you can go and sit down. Normally, kind of they have the tables laid out normally to the towards the back of the restaurant where you can go and sit down and uh, comer en condiciones. Exactamente. <laughs> Although there are places that are only for tapas, for example, I want to recommend you a couple of them. There's ah. a place near Plaza Nueva called uh, Casa Julio. Casa Julio is a tiny, Casa Julio, like Julio's home. <laughs> Casa Julio is tiny. Uh, I mean, I think there could fit in there, like, I don't know, maybe 30 people as much. It's really small, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's lovely. And they have amazing uh, quality of the food and what they are specialized in fried fish straight from the coast of Granada and uh, Cadiz and, you know, the coast of Andalusia in general. Very fresh fish really tasty and you know even though it's a small place it's very very authentic and then also in the area of Varela uh, I would uh, highlight La Tana which is my favorite wine bar it's a great place uh, and they it's more it's all focused on wine you know they have many bottles of wine open about 70 bottles wow. uh, open to give you a glass of and then uh, they have all kind of price ranges they are sommeliers, expert sommeliers, so it's it's a great place. Although the tapas might be a bit smaller because they don't want to miss the focus of the place, which is the wine, but they are carefully chosen to pair properly with the wines, and it's a, it's a great place. Taberna Latana. Amazing. That's a great place. It's a small place too, but definitely a must. Well, the small places are kind of the best places, right? Exactly. Where they have the nice, lively, vibrant atmosphere. It's a more of an authentic tapas experience, I think. Marta, tell us a bit more detail about the tours that you run and how people can book them. Because you run a series of different tours from different themes, depending on what people are interested in. Some about history, some specifically food. 
I what I'm trying to do with Bite Granada is to uh, you know to give people the real essence of the city, as I mentioned, because uh, uh, Granada is uh, much more than the Alhambra. You know, however, the Alhambra is, is a lot to us, but we have many other things. So what I like is to on each tour. Uh, to cover a certain thing. As you said, Paul, I have uh, a, a few historical and cultural experiences and then a couple of uh, food-related tours. So, uh, for example, I cover the Realejo, the, this old uh, Jewish area that I mentioned earlier on one of my tours. Then I also do another tour that goes only to the Albaicin and then we focus on this Moorish past of Granada. We wander across the Albaicin, visiting all the viewpoints. And then you have the option of either going for tapas or just visiting the Sacro Monte, where the flamenco venues are located. And also, you know, I have um, uh, tours on the city center. I can also do customized tours. Of, uh, I offer the Alhambra, the Cathedral and Royal Chapel, pretty much uh, anything, you know. <laughs> I love taking people <laughs> anywhere in Granada. So... That's what I like doing, you know, to focus little by little on each aspect of Granada's essence. Well, I'm really hoping that things can get back to normal or as close to normal as soon as possible so that you can start sharing the beautiful city with visitors again. Thank you. And your website is bitegranada.com. That's right. All the information you can find there, bitegranada.com. Marta, thank you so much for your time today. What what an absolute fountain of knowledge you are about Granada. We could probably talk for another hour. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paul. So there you have it. That was Marta. Thank you so much to you, Marta. I was absolutely fascinated listening to you. What a wealth of information Marta has about her hometown, Granada. Guys, if in the future you've got a trip planned to Granada and you would like an excellent guide, Marta is your person. Uh, go and check her website out. It's bitegranada.com. Bite as in eating, B-I-T-E, bitegranada.com. Go and find her on Instagram as well. You can see photos and she also on Facebook. I'll drop these links into the show notes and they'll be on the show notes page of the brand new When in Spain website as well. So that will just about do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the information useful. Guys, what I would really love you to do is go and check out the new When in Spain website, weninspainpodcast.com. And so with that, I'll leave it there. Look forward to speaking to you again next time. And until then, hasta luego. Thank you.